أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So guys ready to kick it off tonight inshallah Okay um, Let us begin with a short prayer asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide us uh, For those of you who know Surah Al-Fatiha just read it silently from your heart with the intention that uh, you benefit from the session and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala places his nur and his light into your heart okay so first of all can you all hear me clearly is it audible okay great so um, I chose today to talk about uh, the greatest ayah of the Quran, which is Ayat al-Kursi. Probably most of you have memorized it. How many of you have memorized it? Yeah, it's one of those things that you memorize when you're scared of jinn in the house and, you know. Um, it's, it has many benefits of recitation even after every salah, right? There's a lot of benefits of this ayah and it is um, ayah number 255 of the second chapter of the Quran. What does kursi mean? Pretty much it means a chair in Arabic, a chair. But in the context of the Quran, what it symbolizes is authority of a king, basically, right? And who is who's, uh, referring to? Which king? Who's the, who's the king of all kings? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So before we dive in, I want you to, let me put some perspective into it, right? So one of Allah's beautiful names is Al-Malik. And in Surah Al-Fatiha also we recite Malik Yawmiddin and another Qira'ah of that is Malik Yawmiddin which means the king and the owner simultaneously. Malik means owner, Malik means king and they both are names of God. They are both attributes of God in our tradition. And so The perspective I want you to listen with as we study this ayah today is that we are all guests in the kingdom of God. God, out of His mercy and His love for us, has created us and allowed us to be guests in his kingdom and that is really the perspective with which I invite you today to listen and uh, reflect on today because again if this is the greatest ayah of the Quran then can we really comprehend everything about it in one in one session in, in just two hours impossible right so we're just scratching the surface here but for the sake of today's talk that is my intention. I want you to um, just try to absorb that meaning. It's a very, very beautiful and powerful feeling that we are guests in the kingdom of God. And um, besides the fact that kursi means chair or throne in the case of a king, 
It also signifies authority. It signifies Al-Qudra, which means his uh, power and his ability. As you know, kings are, are known for their power, their authority. What else are kings? Help me out here. What are some of the qualities of kings? What makes a king a king? Power. What else? Right. Wisdom. Yes, knowledge, wisdom. We'll see that today. What else? His fealty to his people. His fealty to his people. It should be a two-way relationship. Yes. What's the word you use? Fealty? Fealty. What is So it's, it's, it's faith. Typically it means it's, it's like loyalty, but it's also... Kings are almost always enabled by religion. Mm. So there's a there's a sense of, of religion built in, whether it's the Christian kings or Alakadin, like in irrespective, there's always kind yes, of a religion. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I like that word. First time I hear it, fealty. So faith and loyalty. Yes, absolutely. Um, there's a sense of also protection, right? A king protects you, right? So that we'll see today in Atul Kursi also. Mm. What's unique about Allah here in this context is his extreme love for his people. And, uh, and so therefore the authority comes out of love. You see, there's no... Um, we don't want to get into politics, but a lot of the worldly kings, not necessarily they, you know, will go out of their way to care about their people as much and there's always this personal conflict of interest and all that kind of thing, right? We don't want to get into that. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, just keep this in mind that He is an extremely merciful, extremely kind, extremely loving and protective king who wants the best for you. And in fact, He created you in this world to appreciate all the blessings that He has given you. So when you're a guest in the kingdom of God, let's, let's put kingdom of God aside. When, you're the, when you are a guest in a king's palace, let's say a king has invited you to stay with him for your entire lifetime. First of all, how does that make you feel? Amazing. amazing. It makes you feel special, right? You go into this palace and everything is provided for. You've got income, you've got pocket money, cars, you name it, servants. You have... Uh, all the clothes you need for the sisters, you have your bags and your abayas and your accessories and jewelry. For the guys, you have your watches and the cars and the toys. Um, everything is arranged for. And um, your own existence is also something that is a gift. Every single breath you take is a gift. Every single heartbeat is a gift. We have done nothing to earn any of this. So the sense of entitlement is, is all false. It is a delusion. And there are many benefits of realizing that we live in a, the kingdom of God, right? Is the fact that when you are a, a guest in a king's house, let's say that the king gave you 10 cars and one day he decides to take one car away and, and you still have nine. Do you have a right to complain? If you did complain, what would that make you? 
ungrateful. It actually logically doesn't make sense. And you're, you're complaining about what? What are you complaining about? Doesn't make sense. You have no right to complain. It's completely out of place. So that's one benefit of living as a guest in the kingdom of God. The other benefit is the aspect of jealousy, right? So usually in this world, we often are jealous of each other because he has something I don't. She has something that I don't. And there's always this comparison and sense of competition. Whereas when you trust that the king is wise and the king has knowledge of everything, then everything... So, so he has provided each one of us as guests in his kingdom with different things. It's not equal. What the blessings Nura has are completely different than the blessings that Sumaya has, completely different than the blessing anyone else has here. But what gives us that faith and loyalty and contentment is the fact that there is wisdom behind his distribution of all these blessings in different ways. So it's fair. It is extremely kind and compassionate, but it's beyond our comprehension. We cannot understand the wisdom completely. So we'll see that also in Ayat al-Kursi today. I'm just giving you like a teaser so that when we dive into it, all of these meanings come in, right? So this sense of jealousy goes away. Sense of comparison, envy, hatred, ingratitude, all of it goes away. And then last thing that uh, I wanted to touch on before we dive in is, like we said, the king is also a symbol of ownership, power and qudra. What is qudra in English, by the way? Al-qudra. Al-qadir. Ability? Is it ability? Capability? Let's try to think of the right word. He is capable of everything. Maybe Capability? Closest. Very difficult sometimes to translate specific words in Arabic to English. So besides that, he... So now let's look at the example of us being guests in a king's palace. Okay, The king gave you access to all the facilities. But he told you, listen, every day I want you to do 10 push-ups. That's all I want. Now naturally, is that too much to ask? So if we were guests in the palace of this king, would you make sure every day that you did 10 push-ups? Right? But then you have people who say, no, I won't do 10, I'll just do 5. How would you, how would you view this person? What would you call this person? Ungrateful, lazy, what else? Egoistic. Egoistic. There's some arrogance. What else? Selfish. Selfish. Okay, hypocrite. How? How so? He is using place and everything. Nice. So he's using all the facilities, getting all the benefits, but he also uh, is not being fully grateful, I guess, and not, yeah. So that's one example of someone who is 
disobeying the command, right? And the command is, like we said, not that hard, number one. Number two, is it good for you to do 10 push-ups every day? Yes, of course. I mean, it's good for your health and all of that. So every single command that he's given you is for your benefit. There's nothing out of uh, just plain pleasure. Like, I want you to... Um, I mean, the king didn't say, I want you to do something meaningless. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, in Allah's kingdom, everything happens for a wisdom, for a reason, for a benefit for us. Nothing happens in, in, in vain. A lot of people have this idea of God that He just is playing games with us. An earthquake here, a fire there, innocent people dying here, wars, poverty, and God is just watching and He's playing games and He's enjoying the show. Ma'adallah, yani, Allah is beyond this, right? Everything is happening for a specific reason. So that's one example of someone who's been told to do 10 push-ups, he does 5. Now let's say another person says, you know what, I'm not doing any push-ups. Why should I do push-ups? What would you call this person? He's enjoying all the facilities. He's a guest at the palace, but he um, disobeys. Yeah. yeah, so how would you translate that? Um, he has no shame? Stubborn. He's feels entitled. False entitlement, right? What else? How would you describe this person? Hmm? Lost. Blinded. Someone who has, uh, he has issues like mentally, right? Because it's going against nature, right? It's going against what someone would naturally do. So do all these meanings make sense? Yes? That was the teaser. Shall we get into the ayah now? Alright. Bismillah. So, it's one ayah. An ayah in um, English is best translated as not verse. Okay? Because verses are used in poetry and, and, and music and stuff. The best translation for an ayah in, in English would be a sign. A miraculous sign. Okay, so this surah, this ayah is a miraculous sign in and of itself. And it consists of one sentence, but it is mubtada and khabar. Tadakkarun ayyam al-Arabi, jumla ismiya, tabda' bi mubtada wa khabar. Tadakkarun farq bayna al-jumla al-fi'liya wa al-ismiya? It's fresh in my mind because I'm teaching my kids this stuff now, right? Al-jumla ismiya tabda' bi ism. Okay. Who is the Mubtada? Who is... Uh, sorry, I can't translate Mubtada. I mean, it's beyond me. But it's basically the subject and the predicate. That's what it is. Yeah, so... Who is the subject here? Allah. That's why I've, I've highlighted in like in bold, right? And then there are nine predicates to the subject. So a way... And a way to, Let's actually recite it first of all. A'udhu Billahi Minash Shaytanir Rajeem. 
الله لا إله إلا هو الحي القيوم لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم له ما في السماوات وما في الأرض من ذا الذي يشفع عنده إلا بإذنه يعلم ما بين أيديهم وما خلفهم ولا يحيطون بشيء من علمه إلا بما شاء وسع كرسيه السماوات والأرض ولا يؤوده حفظهما وهو العلي العظيم So it's nine predicates to the subject Allah Allah la ilaha illa huwa al-hayyul qayyum Allah la ta'khudhu sunnatan wa la nawm Allah lahu ma fi as-samawati wa ma fi al-ard So each one of those nine statements We'll go over each one separately. Each one of them is telling you something about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Okay, so that's, the, that's how I want you to understand this ayah. And again, it's one sentence. You need a, a long breath to be able to recite it all in one shot. Yani. But it is all one sentence. Okay, one statement. So let's begin. First, Allahu la ilaha illa al hayyul qayyum. A brief translation. Allah, there is no God but Him. The source of life and the caretaker of everything. Very brief, poor translation. Okay, a lot of things are lost in translation, unfortunately. So, Allah la ilaha illahu, and this statement la ilaha illallah is what we say partially to enter into Islam that there is no god worthy of worship except Allah. But ilah to be translated as God is again. Very, um, very shallow. So let's go deeper into the word ilah. Allahu la ilah. One of its meanings is worthy of worship. And every single one of us, we um, worship something. It is human nature. Every single human being is currently worshiping something. We are devoted to something. Best case scenario, you're worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning your heart is devoted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Him and only Him. That is the, the demand of Islam. is to cleanse your heart and purify it where nothing is in your heart except God. And you are devoted fully to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But what about people who don't worship God? What are they worshipping? Other things. Give me examples of other things. Other gods that we worship, other aliha that we worship, money, what else? Status in society, yeah? People. I mean, I am one, so for me it's my own like, system of morals and it's yes. a, I mean, it comes from a religion, but it isn't, it isn't helpful necessarily. Yes. So we would call that Quranically, that, uh, Allah calls that al uh, hawa, your, your, your desires, yourself, right? So you worship, some people have So some people worship their own desires, their own uh, way. And then uh, what else? Other examples of aliha. Money, 
people, self, what else? An image, like what? I think an image of what you want. Okay, yeah, so goals, yeah, so your, your aspirations, your goals. Some people worship their goals and their aspirations. Um, sometimes it's family, sometimes it's your kids, sometimes it's a person, right? Like obsessed, obsessed with someone. Another translation for ilah is obsession, your obsession with something. Some people are obsessed with substances, with chemicals. Ilah also means a source of peace. So another translation of la ilaha illallah, there is no source of peace except Allah. And then awe also, something that makes you have this feeling of awe. Right? So... There is nothing that brings you in a state of awe except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But my favorite part is this uh, word that is derived from ilah also, which, mean, which is wala. Now, the Arabs were um, known for their poetry. And um, when the Arabs get obsessed with something, they really come up with like a lot of variations for the same word. So... Two things that Arabs were obsessed with, love and war. So basically, they say, I think for the sword, there's like 14 different words in the Arabic language just to describe different types of swords. And so the same thing with love. They have, like how many are these here? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 15 words for love. The lowest of which is the hawa, which is the, uh, the false sense of, love right that comes it's it's basically min al hawa it's empty it's it's baseless right and then the highest form is al hiyam they call it al hiyam is a kind of love that kills you the romeo and juliet kind of love okay not the healthiest kind of love cuz you'll end up dead yani but it's so extreme that you you destroy yourself the sec therefore the second best or the second purest form of love is al-wala and that is the kind of I mean I don't want to get into the rest it'll take us two hours to finish this best al-wala is the second best and the healthiest because you're not killing yourself but you're just so madly in love and it's very pure it is um, genuine there's a sense of desperation to be with the one you love it's very very intense um, again there's no pain you're not like hungry and obsessed like al-hiyam but there's a sense of fulfillment so that's another way to understand la ilaha illallah allahu la ilaha illahu there is no source of pure love except allah subhanahu wa ta'ala no one deserves to be loved except allah subhanahu wa ta'ala okay let's move on and then allah tells us al-hay al-qayyum he mentions two of his beautiful names al-hay and al-qayyum al-hay comes from the source of life, al-haya, which means life. It also means the one who provides life. It also means the one who is who's ever living, meaning he doesn't die. And one of the ways to understand why did Allah, as it's known in the traditional, uh, in, the, in our tradition, there are 99 names of God. Okay. One of which is al-hay. And um, one of the implications of knowing Allah's names is that you know your yourself. What does that mean? So usually when, when it comes to God's names, they're perfect. So there's a sense of perfection. 
For example, Allah is Al-Basir, He can see. I'm also to some extent I can see. We all, we both, like we have a sense of sight, but God has a, a sense of sight that's beyond my imagination. It's perfect. It's, our sight is limited. Correct? I, if you go far enough, I, I won't be able to see you. Allah's sight is perfect. My sight is limited. It's, it can go away. I can be blinded. God's sight is infinite. It doesn't die. I don't own my sight. It has been gifted to me. God's sight, He owns it Himself. Okay, so that's just an example for you to understand how to deal with God's name. So when it comes to God being the source of life, being full of life, what does it also remind us? That we are as a, here as a guest and we will die one day. So anyway, Allah is saying, He is Al-Hay, you are not Al-Hay. Remember that. Um, another spiritual meaning of this is the giver of life. So yes, He has given you life in terms of your physical life, but He also has, He's offering you to give you spiritual life for the hearts that are dead. For the hearts that have distanced themselves from God. And so there's always hope. So in this name there is hope. No matter how far you are from God, He can give you life spiritually. Okay? Bring you back to life. And then Al-Qayyum. Not only is He ever living, He also constantly takes care of you. So Qayyum from Qama. Qa'am ala shay' means the one who is constantly taking care of something. So this king, this God, he has taken it upon himself to take care of you. And to take care of you in the most subtle ways. And the best example here is the, is the baby in the womb of the mother. which is called Ar-Rahim, and one of God's names is Ar-Rahman, Ar-Rahim, right? Two names of God, which mean the most compassionate, the most merciful. Now, Al-Qayyum is the one who provides you without you even realizing that He is providing you. For two main reasons. One, it's beyond your comprehension that He's taking care of you. Number two, you are oblivious to that reality. You have forgotten you have taken it for granted. You feel entitled. And so just like this baby, it's stuck in this womb, but is every, every need of the baby being met through this umbilical cord? Yes? Nutrition, care, safety, security, everything, right? But is the baby worried? Is the baby worried at all? No. Even if it kicks and punches the mother... Is there still guaranteed mercy and compassion from the mother? And so similarly with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Al-Qayyum, he's telling us, listen, I've got everything taken care for you. You don't need to worry about anything. And uh, everything is arranged for, again, you're a guest in this kingdom. Everything is arranged for. You don't need to worry about anything. All your needs will be met. So all that's missing is a sense of uh, trust, right? That's one of the meanings of Iman, to trust that Allah will, will actually take care of me.
Now this baby hasn't met the mother yet. It has never seen the mother. Similarly, imagine we are in this, this palace that we're in, the palace of the kingdom of God. It's like this womb, right? Where we are being provided for in ways that are unimaginable, uncomprehensible. But at the same time, it's human nature to be grateful for for the source of all these blessings. Even though we haven't seen him. Even though we will never comprehend his reality. You know, my kids always ask me, so, you know, what does God look like? Does, does, is, this, is he like this old man with a white beard and a white robe? For kids are imaginative, right? But for us, we say that, There is nothing like him. Yeah? But at the same time, we know his reality. We trust his reality. So whether you ask or not, is the baby asking for food when it's in the womb of the mother? Yes or no? It's not even asking, but you're still being provided for. So whether you ask or not, you will be given exactly what you need. And who, who knows what you need better than your own creator? You may think that you need something, but would, does your creator know better? Yes, so you will be provided for exactly what you need, exactly when you need it, in the right dose. And so you basically have to take your hands off. And that is what, part of the meaning of Islam is surrendering. Submission, surrender, hands off. I don't need to control anything because it's being controlled by the perfect uh, king. And then he takes care of everything. Why? simply because he's loving, because he cares about you and because um, he loves you. And Qayyum highlights two things. The quality of being caring as well as the quality of being capable. What's the difference between, between being caring and being capable of taking care? There's a big difference. Exactly, exactly. So, for example, um, when babies are very, very young, who is taking the responsibility of caring and providing and taking care of the baby? Who is primarily taking on the role? Yeah, because she's caring and she's capable because she's off from work. How many months do you, do you get now off from work for like maternity leave 40 days, 40 days? No, no, two, months. two months okay if okay. basically you're you're on leave and you're free to take care so you're you're caring and you're capable of taking care you see but then as our kids get older we still are caring but what happens to us we get busy with life and then our capability of taking care slowly decreases and therefore we start outsourcing this capability or this incapability we outsource it to people who are capable does that make sense so Allah is Al-Qayyum meaning he is caring and he is capable both simultaneously uh, and by the way what's the what's the risk with outsourcing the care for someone who is uh, not the true 
owner or parent in this case. You will not give the same quality. Exactly. So there's this ele element of lack of trust, right? I mean, we hear horror stories of, um, I, don't want, I don't mean to get you paranoid, but of abusive housemaids and helpers who, you know, abuse the children and all that. So that's a reality of life. Whether it's helpers in the home, drivers, whatever. And that is the difference between this kind of care and Allah's care. Because Allah will take care of you out of love and genuine need and capability. Because he's Al-Qadir. And he is doing it himself, right? So he's not outsourcing it to anybody. You guys, are you guys internalizing this meaning? It's very, very powerful. He's not outsourcing it because he wants to take full responsibility. I'll give you another example. What would you take care of more? A, a car that you own or a car that you've rented? Exactly, right? If it's rented, you probably, you know, yeah, go a bit faster on the speed bumps. Maybe a few donuts here and there. Because it's not yours at the end of the day, right? That's human nature. But Allah's caring for you is direct and it is out of genuine care and capability. And we've all either been in the ICU or in the hospital with, you know, some situation or we've been as a visitor to someone who's sick. Hands up if you've been to the ICU to visit someone who's critical or someone who's really, really sick in the hospital. Either you yourself or you've visited someone. Yes, we've all had that experience. Now, and usually you go to see someone who's very, very close to you, someone who you love, someone who's dear to you, right? And um, you probably walk in. And you'll stand for a while, you'll hold their hands, you'll make dua for them, you'll probably, you know, show them some love, some sweet words. But eventually, after a few minutes, what will you do? You'll sit down, right? Because you can only stand for, for so long. And then you sit down for a while, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, half an hour. If it's someone who you really, really care about, What's the maximum you're gonna stay? Days. Days is extreme, Yani. These days, I mean, I don't know. A day or two, max. More than that, depends on the case, you're right. But they don't let you stay overnight anyway in the hospitals, do they? In ICU, do they let you stay for that long? Critical care, you'll probably go home, right? Like you stay as long as you can, but you, you'll go home eventually. Um, and even if you do stay, then what are you eventually going to do? You're in that room. There's like this spare bed there or couch. Eventually, you're sitting. For how long can you sit? An hour, two hours. And eventually, what are you going to do? Lay down, right? You, you get tired, you lay down. And eventually, you'll fall asleep. Um... Yeah, I remember just, subhanAllah, just came up to my mind. My dad, uh, Allah Rahmah, he passed away about 16 years ago. 
and uh, the doctors told us he had uh, a rare form of lung cancer and uh, the doctors told us that uh, that's it this probably will be his last night I didn't share it with anybody except my elder sister and we managed to convince my mother to go home and rest and I stayed back so it was just him and me in the room and I remember like uh, him basically being in pain throughout that night these are called Sakarat al-Maut the Prophet has told us about this Sakarat al-Maut are uh, these um, it's a painful experience where there's a sense of drunkenness and just agitation because the soul is slowly coming out right and um, I remember like reciting Quran for him and I wish I could do it all night but eventually what happened I got tired right it was 2 a.m. I fell asleep on the couch and the purpose of me being there was to be there with him right to support him but I fell asleep I, I was tired emotionally physically everything and I just remember about 6 a.m. I even missed my prayers. Yeah. I missed my Fajr prayer that day. So, so tired. And I remember um, opening my eyes and there's this nurse walking outside the, the, the room door. And he just turns to me and he says, Allah ajrik. That may Allah reward you. That's something we say when someone dies. And so can you imagine this? I open my eyes and someone says that to you first day. And there's my dad lying there and reality hits me that he's gone. Um, so what I'm trying to say is no matter how much you care, our capability of care is limited. Allah's capability is unlimited. And so the next ayah Allah says, لا تأخذه سنة ولا نوم. Neither does slumber. Sina means slumber. You know when you're like, you're tired and dizzy and you just do that for a second. That's called sina. And now means deep sleep. So Allah, after telling you that He's Al-Hayy Al-Qayyum, He's telling you, by the way, my Qayyumiyya, my care for you is going to be intense and continuous and non-stop and I will not sleep I will not leave you for a split second you are actively being taken care of every single moment every single breath every single second of your life that's what's being highlighted here and we all know that you know even security guards right like who are hired for a specific job, they have limitation when it comes to their capability to protect and serve and all of this. But for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's highlighting that, listen, I'm not falling asleep for you. Don't worry. I've got your back. Even when you're sleeping, I've got your back. Another meaning of this is that Allah is actively Himself. Again, it's not outsourced to anybody. You know, people have this idea that Allah is the boss and He has like these executives that are um, like in the corporate world, right? You have the CEO who's playing golf and he has these executives who are running the show and everything, right? 
No, no, no. Allah Himself is doing this. He's Al Qayyum. And one of its meanings is that if Allah was to even just let go of this control for even a split second, this entire universe would collapse. So, not just us, but this, this entire life that exists relies on Allah being Al-Qayyum. Relies on Allah being Al-Hay and Al-Qayyum. And it relies on him not falling asleep nor ever being not being tired also. Because if he did take his hands off for just a split second, everything would collapse. So we are in constant need of him. So similar to that uh, ICU example, now extreme case. How many of you have had a relative or someone who has been on life support? Yeah, so life support is basically where the machine is running the show, right? The machine is helping the heartbeat, the machine is helping them breathe. And then eventually, um, these cases are very rare to come out of. Yes, when someone goes on life support, you know that it's, it's pretty much game over, right? Unless it's a miracle. So, Al-Hayyul Qayyum, La Ta'akhudu Sinatun Wala Naum, one of its meanings is that Allah wants you to realize that we are all. How, first of all, a question How do you feel about someone who's on life support? Waiting for the moment. Yeah, you're waiting, but how are you feeling towards them? You don't want them to suffer. It's, in a okay. way, it's, it hurts you to see them suffer. Yeah. What's the suffering, though? Okay. It's like maybe Pain. they want to go and we are preventing that from happening mm -hmm. or something. Okay. Yeah. I think there's also this question about the utility of it, right? Like the, the mere notion that their body is not capable of supporting them anymore and that it has to be turned over to a machine to do. Like you said, it's typically not recoverable. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of instances, it's simply an inability Yes, yes. That's a wrenching feeling. Exactly. Are not, they don't want to progress. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What else? How do you feel towards someone who's on life support? I'm sad. Why are you sad? That's right. Also, there's a sense of um, being helpless, right? That was what I was hinting towards, feeling of being helpless. That without this machine, they are incapable of continuing, right? And so you feel sorry for them. You feel uh, there's a sense of sympathy for them that, miskin, yani, you know, he's on the machine. They're helpless. They can't function without the machine. So, the reality of the matter is we are all, right now, on life support with Allah's permission. Can Allah decide to 
stop our breathing this moment? Can he decide to stop our, our heartbeat this moment? Yes. Can he take away your eyesight this moment? Yeah. All of these things are, are possibilities, right? But we sometimes forget and we take for granted. And so that's another meaning highlighted here is that Sarah, we are on life support. How does that make you feel? Really? But, but you're on life support by, by a king who loves you. And he's Al-Hay, he's Al-Qayyum, and he's not going to sleep to take care of you. How does that make you feel? You are on life support, but there's a very, very loving king who has taken it upon himself to take care of you. But you are on life support. How does that make you feel? Calm. I mean, you don't have to do anything pretty much, right? I mean, everything is... Yeah, but you're fully dependent on him. That's what we're trying to uh, internalize here. We're fully dependent on him. So this false sense of freedom is not really there. A lot of people talk about freedom. I want to be free. I want my biggest value is freedom. Hey, freedom. You are fully dependent on Allah every single moment of the day. Right? And so your ultimate freedom is actually... Surrendering to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fully and letting go of that control and trusting that He is going to take care of it because I'm on life support anyway, whether I like it or not, whether I believe it or not, <laughs> that's the reality. So my belief about it doesn't change it. My liking of it or disliking of it doesn't change it. It's just the reality. Might as well just skip all of that and say, okay, Allah, I'm on your life support. I know you love me. I know you're not going to sleep. And so I can chill out and let you run the show. And I'm just going to trust that everything that happens is going to be perfect. I'm going to do my part, but I know you will do your part perfectly, flawlessly. And so every single leaf that falls, falls with the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so here what I'm trying to highlight also is that his qayyumiyah is not just over human beings, it's over everything. In Surah Al-Fatiha, we thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. One of the first things we do in Surah Al-Fatiha is what? Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. We're showing gratitude. Because we are guests in the kingdom of God. But then we say, Alhamdulillahi what? Rabbil Alameen. The caretaker of all the worlds. Which includes human beings. It includes animals. It includes insects. It includes... Uh, creation of Allah under the sea I don't know if aliens exist even their caretaking um, plant life corals you name it all the worlds Allah everything is under Allah's qayyumiyah his care his constant love and care So there's no such thing as, ah, that leaf is not important, I'll take care of big things. You know what I mean? Like in the worldly sense, when you are in a place of responsibility, you're the CEO of a company, you've got to manage your time wisely because there are priorities and there are things that are of not of that big priority, right? There are people that, like let's say there's two people out there to meet you. One is another chairman of a different company who's very important and then there's this employee who's a very low position, who would, the who would the CEO meet first? The chairman, right? Because importance, 
someone of importance. With Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, there's no sense of he's important, okay, I listen to him first, you're next, you, I won't see you today, tomorrow, you, I'm never going to see you, you can see someone else, no. Or I'll take care of human beings, plants, no, Adi, that leaf falls, who cares? No, there's no such thing as insignificant. Every single creation of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is extremely significant. And He's giving every single detail, including that leaf that falls off the tree, the same amount of love and care and attention and um, level of control. That's how engaged he is. That's how alive he is. Right? So you see how al-hayy is also like part of the equation here. He's al-hayy al-qayyum. They go together. Right? He's full of life and he can't, and he can't possibly die because if he dies, then who's going to take care of his creation? And you know, when you have like a really, when you're living in, the, in a palace as a guest of a king, a worldly king, okay? What are, what, one of your biggest fears is what? The day that the king, the day the king dies. Because what's going to happen the next day? You're out of that palace. Asalama, right? So Al Hayy Al Qayyum gives you the comfort that this king, he's ever living. And so, as we know also that our bodily life is limited, we will die, but spiritually speaking, our souls will never die. After death, death is just simply a transition. It's after death comes your graduation party, day of judgment, and then eternal bliss in paradise. So there's no death for the soul. It's just a temporary transition. Right? So Allah is telling you that I'm going to take care of you, not just in this world. I'm going to take care of you in the grave. I'm going to take care of you on the day of judgment. And I'm going to take care of you in paradise. Let me just give you a slight tangent here to understand this concept, okay? Of grave, day of judgment, hellfire and paradise. Think of it this way, very simply. I was teaching this to my kids two days ago and they, they really understood it, right? So, basically, par Allah created us for paradise. Okay, Allah created us for what? Paradise. Is paradise a pure place or an impure place? So to enter paradise, what state do I need to be in? What percentage of purity do I need? 80%, 60%, 90%? To enter paradise, I need to be 100% pure. What is my state of purity right now? Definitely not 100%. Okay? Allahu alam. Allah says, فَلَا تُزَكُّوا أَنفُسَكُمْ هُوَ أَعْلَمُوا بِمَنِ اتَّقَى Do not claim to be pure. Allah knows our realities. So all of us, we have a certain percentage. Some of us are 10%, 20%, 30 40 50 60 70 whatever. But none of us for sure guaranteed is 100%. And so what are we doing in this life? One of the biggest purposes of our existence in this life, 70, 80 years, whatever, maybe less, is to work on purifying ourselves to the max. 
mainly through three things. Number one, istighfar, asking God to forgive you constantly, minimum 100 times a day. That's what the Prophet did, minimum. If you're not doing istighfar, saying astaghfirullah al-azim, minimum 100 times a day, you're taking a big risk, okay? Number two, tests and trials. Sometimes God makes you go through tests and trials to purify you. Number three, Allah gives you opportunities like Ramadan to maximize rewards and to wipe out all your sins. Okay, so these bonus months, bonus periods, sometimes it's maybe one fast a day. Which fasts are like those magical fasts? Siyam Muharram, sah? What does it do? Wipes your entire sins for the past year and the year ahead or something like that. So Allah gives you these bonus uh, opportunities, these bonus windows every now and then. Ramadan is one of the biggest ones. All of these are opportunities to purify yourself. Now, congratulations to those who attain 90-95% purity. Okay? And they die. Are they 100% pure? No, right? So remember I told you about Sakarat al-Maut? Remember? It's this discomfort, this feeling of the soul coming out and uh, it's going to be uh, difficult for everyone. But how difficult depends on how much purification you need. If you need a little bit of, you're at like 97% and 3% pain and then you're pure. But if you're at 60%, then that Sakarat al-Maut won't be enough. Then you need to go to station number two. So what's station number one? This world, dunya. Okay? You have an opportunity to purify yourself as much as possible so that you can make it to Jannah right away. If you purify yourself completely, then you skip station two, three, and four, and you go to paradise straight away. Meaning, grave will be an awesome experience for you. Uh, Day of Judgment will be a VIP service. And you don't need to, you skip station four and you go to Jannah. But if you haven't purified yourself enough, then you move on to station two, which is the grave. And that's where you come with this. Uh, in other religions, they call it also um, pur purgatory, right? They call it. It's a cleansing process that happens in the grave where um, whatever you can purify during the dunya gets purified there. It starts off with you being buried in the grave and then there's a squeeze that happens in the grave and uh, there's two angels who come and ask you questions. There's all sorts of things that happen. I don't want to uh, get into that. But that's station number two. For some people, that will be enough to purify you and then inshallah, Day of Judgment will be VIP service and you go to paradise. But if the, the, the purification of the grave is not enough, then you need to go to station number three. What's station number three? <coughs> Anyone? Hmm? No, that's four. Yeah. Barzakh is grave, the grave uh, life. Station number three. Huh? Yes, the Day of Judgment, exactly. For, so for those who are impure, the Day of Judgment will be a, a difficult day. For some 50,000 years of wait to know your results. Yes. It does. So 
Yeah. Yeah. So it is the soul, but I'd rather not get into that topic because there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of unknowns. How it happens, it happens. Yeah, you feel it, but it's a different world, different dimension, very difficult to comprehend. So day of judgment. For some people, they'll be sweating up to their feet. Comes in tradition. Some up to their knees. Some up to their bellies. Some will be drowning in their sweat. But for the VIPs, they skip that process, right? And so for those who even they have judgment not enough, then they go to station four, suffer in the hellfire temporarily until they're fully purified, and then they go to Jannah, right? So that's just a short summary of um, the four stations. I have no idea how we got into this and how it's connected to Ayatul Kursi, but ma'alish. I hope it's beneficial though. So now the Prophet tells us that death is the sister, uh, sorry, sleep is the sister of death. So if Allah is al-hay, he doesn't die, then neither does he sleep. Okay? Every time, every single night we sleep, our soul leaves the body. Technically, we are dead. And therefore, one of the traditions of the Prophet is, when you wake up, you say, Alhamdulillah, الذي أحيانا بعد ما أماتنا وإليه النشور. Thank God, who gave us life after we were dead, and to him we shall return. Um, Another aspect of this is the security system. You know how like we put surveillance systems to monitor, to make sure you're safe. Allah is also telling you that I'm not going to fall asleep. I'm constantly taking care of you. I'm constantly going to protect you even while you're sleeping. Don't be afraid. So anxiety goes out the window. Moving on to statement number three. To him belongs all the skies and whatever is on earth. Lahu is a key word here. Lahu. To him belongs everything. The skies, how many skies are there? Seven. And one earth. I don't want to open a can of worms, but this idea of flat earth and there's a lot of Quranic truth to it okay that the earth is the base and then you have seven skies and then you have beyond that the tradition you want me to share with you some tradition about this from the Prophet ﷺ? okay so he says in one tradition the distance between the first sama and the second sama is 500 years of um, Sayra Arba'ina Sana. So he, he gave the example of someone r riding a horse for 500 years. But again, is that horse a real horse? Is it uh, traveling at the speed of light? Unknown. Okay, but 500 years of travel between what and what? The first and the second. Similarly, between the second and the third, third and the fourth, fourth and the fifth. And in another tradition, beautiful one. To understand the concept of Sama wal Earth, so just try to grasp this, right? So seven skies, Earth, Earth already. Our how significant are we compared to Earth? Very insignificant. And then beyond that, we have seven skies. And by the way, everything that NASA and uh, the space stations can capture in terms of images and all of that—that that is all limited to which sky? Sama ad Dunya, the first sky. 
we haven't even accessed the second sky. Okay? And one theory, Quranically speaking, is that the second sky, actually there is no access to it. It's humanly impossible to cross that. Okay? Saqfan um, Mahfuza, Allah calls it in the Quran. Okay? A ceiling that protects. So, in the tradition, the Prophet tells the Sahaba that the skies and the earth compared to the kursi, because they were asking about this kursi. What is it? How is it? He said that the skies and the earth compared to the kursi is like a ring that's thrown into a vast desert. So the desert is the kursi and all the skies and the earth are the ring. What's the significance of a ring thrown in a vast desert? Very tiny, right? So do, are you with me? Samawat al-Ard is the ring. Al-Kursi is the desert. And then he said, and the Al-Kursi compared to the, the Arsh al-Rahman, which is tough, difficult to even uh, translate. Think of it as dominion of Allah. Um, that is also the likeness of a ring thrown into a desert. So this kursi compared to the arsh is like a ring that's thrown into the desert. Just to give you some idea here. So lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard, everything belongs to him. This is explaining the previous concept. Why is he taking care of you? Why is he al-hayul qayyum? Why is he not sleeping? Because this belongs to him. So there's this personal care of the owner. Like the car that you take care of because you own it rather than the car that you've rented. Nothing gets neglected. Everything between the skies and the earth. So he's captured everything in between. You own nothing also. When he says lahu, what does that mean also? That we own nothing. You don't own your breath. You don't own your eyes. You don't own your house. You don't own your cars. You don't own your degrees. You don't own your knowledge. You don't own your kids. You don't own anything. And that is really what goes with you in the grave, right? Nothing. But what has the human being deluded into thinking? That we own all these things, right? And you have all, all sorts of like fights, inheritance fights and stuff. When someone dies, oh, that land is mine. That building is mine. That property is mine. It's not yours. Where's my share? My this, my that, my car. And so wouldn't life be more beautiful if we all lived with this idea that everything that we have is just a gift from this king who loves us. So we appreciate it, but it becomes a means for us to remember him and to thank him. Wouldn't life be beautiful? And you know, when, when Allah says, to him belongs everything in the skies and the earth. What does best connection mean here, right? So, when you have a problem, usually,
what is human nature to do to solve the problem? Let's say, let's say, um, I'll give an example, real, real story. My youngest sister, Hiba, she was going on her honeymoon and very excited and all of that. They, they were traveling, literally, they got married the next day they were traveling. Okay, all planning, six months of planning, the honeymoon and everything. And we went to the airport to drop her and lo and behold, they're at the immigration and they see that her passport is uh, expired. And you know, like you need, it needs to be six months valid for you to travel, right? So I think it was, there was three months validity only. And so they told her, sorry, you won't be able to travel. You need to renew your passport. And she was in tears and sad and like, oh my God, all that planning and everything. Can you imagine this on your honeymoon day? So what's human nature? Human nature is to go through your phone and brainstorm the highest connection possible to sort this thing out on the spot. And so alhamdulillah, I called up a dear friend who's very important and a few phone calls, we managed to get her through without having to renew the passport. How many of you have done something similar in your life, like using access of someone important to get something done? Yeah, we all do that, right? And uh, so Allah is telling you, everything belongs to me. I am the king of all of this stuff. And so you want anything? Who do you call? Call me. Remember me. You have direct access to me. You have a direct connection with me. Any day of the week, 24-7, I'm not ever going to be busy for you. You know, sometimes you want someone to help you, but they're not answering their phone. Right? Or it's switched off or something. Very disappointing, right? But Allah, you're never going to get He's always available, always accessible. Moving on. Predicate number four. Remember, who's the subject? Allah. Allah. Man the illa bi Who is there? Has shafa'a shown a hain has shafa'a. So shafa'a is a concept where, hmm? Yes, forgiveness, pardoning, forgiveness. It's usually intercession. I think it's the right word, right? So shafa'a, and it's part of our tradition where. We have on the Day of Judgment, this is part of the purification. Remember the, the, the third station is what? What's the third station? Dunya station one, grave station two, Qiyamah station three, hellfire station four. And then five is inshallah where all of us will end up inshallah. Every single one of us, guaranteed. Okay? For station number three guys, one of the gifts is the shafa'a of the Prophet That the Prophet will, uh, Allah told all the Prophets, you know how like, like the genie in the bottle, they, he gave the, the Prophets, all the Prophets one wish and it will be done. All the Prophets asked for their wish and it was granted to them in their lifetime. Except the Prophet what did he do? He told Allah that wish I, I want you to grant it to me on the Day of Judgment. And he told Allah that that wish will be for all of my Ummah to be forgiven and to enter Paradise. So that's one of the traditions that we have. So Allah says that who is out there who will be given permission
to do shafa'a except or who out there will be able to give you intercession without my permission meaning that yes certain people will be given permission to do shafa'a but with my permission okay because he's the king okay and so this concept of um, wasta right that's the idea here but what's human nature when you know that there's a big wasta what do you do then exactly you start slacking you start becoming careless irresponsible again you start feeling entitled and you, you do all sorts of uh, unnecessary things so Allah is telling us that there is permission required so don't take that lightly a lot of Muslims today live their life thinking that they're yani, part of Ummat Muhammad and so therefore inshallah free ticket to paradise yes but there's station one two three are you willing to Go to station two and three. You know, that's the reality. Yeah. Fa, what, what this ayah is um, making us realize, guys, is this balance. And I want to get, get to this slide. Very important balance in our relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yes, there's that love, care, and closeness, which is highlighted in Al-Hayyul Qayyum. La ilaha illahu al-Hayyul Qayyum. La ta'akhudu sinatun wa la nawm. But then there's also that balance of that he's the owner, he's the judge, and, and there's accountability. Yani, we can't take that for granted. And then comes the knowledge aspect. Allah has knowledge over everything. He knows what's means what's in front of them and what's behind them. What does that mean? Any guesses? Yeah. Exactly. What's your intention? What you're thinking? What your plans are for the future? What you did in the past? What you're going to do in the future? He knows everything. Because for Allah, there's no such thing as time and space. You have to understand this. There's no time. There's no past, present, future for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There's no place. And um, so He's beyond that. So his knowledge is, encompasses everything. This also means that he knows what you've gone through. You know, many, many people, many of us have gone through a lot, but nobody knows. And there's a lot of wounds, a lot of pain, suffering, nobody knows about. But he's telling you, I know what you've been through. How does that make you feel? Safe. Safe, yes. Bayna also means what's in front of you, means what you can see. Khalfahum means you cannot see it. So he knows the seen and the unseen. He knows your external, which people can see, and he knows your inner state, which no one can see. And then also he... One of the meanings of Bayna Aidin Wama Khalfam is your priorities. He knows what you put forward, because what do we what we put forward is what's important. And what do we keep behind? What's not important? So he knows that also, right? 
And so how is this connected to the ayah before that? مَنْ ذَا الَّذِي يَشْفَعُ عِنْدَهُ إِلَّا بِإِذْنِهِ Shafa'a, right? Like Allah knows who will be worthy of that shafa'a. There's no games. There's no uh, skipping the line or bribing someone to go in. No, no. There's there's rules for that also. Okay. And then wala yuhaytuna bi shay'in min ilmihi illa bima sha'a. Ihata means to encompass something from all aspects. So, for example, this remote, if I look at it just from this first front view, I have some knowledge, but it's just one perspective, right? Ihata would be to look at it from every single angle, to open it up, to check every single thing from the inside, to unscrew it, open it, know every single component of it, and to fully know it. That's Ihata. From muhit, ihata, okay? So Allah is saying that even and your knowledge is limited. Allah will give you wala yuhaytuna bi shay'in min almi. Not even the slightest bit will you be able to comprehend from the full picture. Except with just a little bit of what He gives you. So again, it makes you realize how little we know. You know, how limited our perspective is, how judgmental we can become. And how, how we get stuck in this knowledge ego, right? That I know. I'm right. And remember how I told you that everything, everything around us is a blessing, a gift? Yes? What comes to your mind when you, when you think of Allah's creation being a gift? What comes to your mind? Like, let's look around you. What are some of the Blessings of God around you right now. Here, here. here okay. Here. What else? Oxygen. Oxygen. Everything in your body. Okay. What else? Look around you. Nature. Hmm. Nature. Okay. So, for example, this tree, right? This tree. What else? Hmm. The weather. Beautiful breeze. What else? Uh, food. Drink. Alhamdulillah. Me. You guys. Our company. This gathering. Wonderful people. What else? Hmm, look around. Best, that's it. Yalla, yalla, guruni. Yeah, what else? Give me, give me some more. Gilna, food and drink, gilna. Chai, wa kitchen. Dunkin' Donuts included, bad. What else? Okay, so. This is where I was getting to. Notice that all of you, or most of you, what you mentioned first were things that are full of life, right? Sah? Yani, this house is a blessing. Blessing. This table is a blessing. Now, now, <coughs> question: How can this table be a <coughs> a means for you to be grateful to Allah, or this chair? The logical mind says, no, Tara, this is created by man. And I'll focus on the tree because man didn't create this tree. Allah did. Uh, man didn't create these eyes. Allah did. But this table man created. So we tend to exclude man-made things from the list of things to be grateful for. That's what I'm trying to get to. Yes? Is that true? Yeah, Allah gave us the knowledge. 
فهو gave the knowledge to Steve Jobs to create the iPhone. Allah. So is the iPhone a means to get close to Allah and to appreciate his gift? Yes. Who gave Elon Musk the knowledge to create the Tesla? Who? Allah. So who gave this beautiful designer and architect to design this house? Who gave uh, the, them the knowledge to do this, the skill? Who does credit go back to? How much percent credit goes back to Allah? Are you sure you don't, you don't take any credit? No. Or is it like 20% me, 80% Allah? <laughs> exactly. The reality is, we have no right to take any credit. Zero credit, 100% credit goes to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If you take partial credit, that's a disease of the heart which is called al-ujb. Being impressed with your ability, al-ujb. Looking at yourself in the mirror saying, yes, I did it. My knowledge, my skills, I earned this. Okay, that's why like traditionally it was actually, and don't go crazy on this, but it was makruh to have a lot of mirrors in the house. Because it enhances ujb. I'm not calling you guys to break all your mirrors, please. <laughs> but you guys see where it's coming from, right? Yeah, yes, please. Yes. I, it is like an inherent part of human existence to desire, like to, to view thankfulness and a sense of accomplishment, and it, it drives everything that we do, right? Like even even the creation of things to glorify Allah are in part a result of a desire to be, like to seek out accomplishment, a sense yes. of that. It seems like it's inherent. Absolutely. So is this, is this, as you were uh, alluding to last week, is this part of the, 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 the mask, the hajib, or like is it part of some part of that? Or like, mm. what, what is this for the Quran? Yeah, so it's, it's two sides of the same coin, right? So, so Allah calls us, part of our worship to Him, part of our devotion to Him is to seek excellence in everything we do. Right? So you, you do your best, you create the best tools for humanity to, make, to solve the problems in the best way. You invent the best solutions for humanity, but you take zero credit. You give all credit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's two sides of the same coin, right? So you're, you're doing your maximum to progress humanity forward, but you're taking zero credit for it. And you're doing it in a way that's not... That's islah, not ifsad, because a lot of the progress that humanity has done has cost the earth a lot of damage, right? In terms of pollution and uh, greed and all of that, right? So the, the Muslim strives for excellence, making sure that there is no damage done, and he takes zero credit. So extreme humility. So the, the correct balance is humble power, right? So we're extremely confident and powerful in our in our abilities and skill but we're super humble at the same time hope that answers your question so um, let's let's get to the end inshallah from expanse means expansiveness 
his chair. Now, now this is where Al-Kursi comes. This is where Ayat Al-Kursi, this is where the word comes from. That this, this chair, this throne of his, is expansive across all the skies and the earth. So notice, As-Samawati Al-Ard comes up again. It came up in before, صح? Which ayah it came up, which, which part did it come up with before? Just to see if you're paying attention. Lahu ma fi samawati wa ma fil ard. To him belongs everything in the skies and earth. Now he's saying his dominion is also expansive of, over everything in the skies and the earth. His kursi, his ability, yes. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, it's again physical beyond our comprehension. No point even going there. It's it's the meaning behind it. Kursi is a symbol of, like we said, uh, a king who has authority, who has power, who has uh, control and ability. Al Qudra, yeah. What's the difference between ownership and kingdom? Important discussion. Is every, ownership, is every owner a king? Is every king an owner? In the worldly sense. I can own a house, but I'm not the king of the house. I can be the king of a country, but do I own everything in my kingdom? No. No. Right? So you see how we as human beings are limited in our kingship and in our ownership. Slight note here about ownership. Imagine you're the king and you have hosted a guest, a few, uh, you know, a, f a few guests in your house for six months. First couple of months, the guests are extremely grateful. They're, you know, being thankful to you. They're uh, very, very um, devoted and all of that. But then, one day, one of your servants comes and tells you that, by the way, so-and-so, who is a guest at your palace, we overheard him brag about how he bought that car. that you gave him. You as a king, how would you feel about this person? Disappointed. Disappointed. Probably laugh, right? It's funny. <laughs> um, you'd feel sorry for that person. Again, they're deluded, right? And sometimes this is something that we do when we claim ownership of something that Allah has actually gifted us. That's exactly what we're doing. We're pretending that we own it. And we're not only are we pretending, we're showing off that this is mine, that I earned this. That so Allah is micromanaging as well as macromanaging. Right? So there's this two aspects here. Samawati wal ard. A lot of people don't like micromanagers. Why? They don't 
What do you mean? Ex ex Explain trust. Why? What's the lack of trust aspect? Uh huh. Okay. Yes. So it's annoying, right? When you have. A, yeah. But when Allah tells you that, listen, I'm gonna micro. Not manage, but I'm gonna. Micro take, uh, take care of you at the micro level. So it's micro and macro care, not really management. Because we do have to take some responsibility, right? As, as Muslims, like we have responsibility, we have free will. But would you want micro care, macro and micro care of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Yeah, absolutely, right? So that's what it's talking about here. Kursi is also about the care. Samawat and Ard. Samawat is the macro, Ard is the micro. And he never gets tired of taking care of these two. What is these two referring to? Samawat wal ard. Exactly. So it's reiterating the same concept. Samawat wal ard need constant care. Allah is saying, earlier He told us, I don't sleep, I don't get tired. Now He's telling you, I will never be unable to protect. There was care, here's protection. What's the difference between care and protection? Hmm. What's the difference between care and protection? Care is like an ongoing thing that it, it like permeates everything in life. Protection, I think, implies that there's an inherent threat. Something you can only do when there's something that needs to be protected against. Exactly. So as a parent, I care about my son. I love him, I care about him, but am I able to protect him 100%? Can he get injured in a football match? Is it going to be painful? Am I, un am I limited in my protection of him? Yes, I'm limited. صح? Allah is not limited. Again, it emphasizes that extra love and care and protection. So he's telling you, not only do I care about you, I also... I'm going to protect you. And he has an army of angels whose roles are there to protect you at all times. And they're, by the way, literally chilling with us in this gathering right now. Based on the Prophet's uh, tradition, right? That whenever a group sit together to remember Allah and to understand His book, Allah sends down His mercy his tranquility and angels and they hover upon us and cover us with the rahmah and then they go back to Allah and, and mark our attendance literally one by one they take our names and tell Allah that so and so was here Sam was here Rayana was here attended Aisha came late Sumaya <laughs> no you attended you were there, right? And so, by name, we are being mentioned to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What an honor, right? How does that make you feel?
Our capability to protect is limited. No matter how much you take care of, of your garden, do you have 100% control over its care? Can weather conditions change and your in, all of your efforts go down the drain? Yes. So our ability to control uh, or to protect what we care about is limited. Allah is unlimited. He will never be uh, tired or unable to protect the skies and the earth, which include you. Okay, Loving care and protection. And we come to the conclusion. And he is the most high. And he is Al-Azim. Very difficult to translate Al-Azim, but Azama, help me out here. Greatness, majesty, magnificent. I love that. Yeah, magnif is magnificent. Beyond words, Azim. And so, so you know, what comes to mind is a hierarchy, right? With authority, what comes to your mind is hierarchy. And in the worldly sense, the higher up someone is, the less likely you'll be interacting with those at the bottom. Like our CEO, I probably see him maybe twice a year. Maybe by mistake in the lift or for like a very important meeting. But otherwise, you don't really see him. Chairman, I've never seen him. Our chairman, I've never seen him, like in person. Yes, someone? Yeah. Yeah. So these are the real leaders. Yeah. Yes. Nice. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that's that's true leadership when you do come down to the that level, right? So Yes, Allah is the king of the skies and the earth, and sometimes we feel that he's busy with the more important things. You know? But no no no. Allah says uh, I am I'm closer to you than your jugular vein, right? Which is the vein that connects directly to the heart. So he says one of his names actually is Al Qarib, the one who's extremely close to you. And in, in, uh, in the Quran, Allah also tells us Wasjud Waqtarib. And that's what we do in Salah, right? Is we humble ourselves. And the positioning of the Salah is really incredible because in the the standing position where there's this order. It's like, you know, you're a soldier in the army, you're standing, and there's discipline, you're, stay, you're standing in rows, perfect row, discipline, uprightness, eyes down, full respect, honor, devotion, comes at the bowing level, you're showing your, your humility, especially with the mind, you are, you are telling Allah that, listen, no matter what knowledge I have, I salute you. I, I bow down to you. I humble myself in front of you. And then uh, the sujood, the prostration is... And by the way, this is something that all prophets did. 
every single prophet prayed this way what this Ibrahim salam, Musa salam, Isa salam, as well as Prophet Muhammad salam. all the monotheistic faith prophets taught this way of praying and then sujood is wasjud waqtarb the closest you are to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the point of sujood so you have direct access to him and it's complete humility you are bringing your, your head down and you are fully devoting yourself to him it's kind of like hugging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I see, I see sujood as a hug you feel you know sometimes you need a hug or you feel like hugging someone that you long for that is sujood and so um, yeah it's a, it's a time to talk to God in sujood it's a very intimate moment to vent you don't need to hire a therapist just talk to him vent one of his names is As-Sami' he listens to you Al-Alim he knows what you're going through Al-Basir he's seen what you've been through all these beautiful names so humility and closeness وَهُوَ الْعَلِيُّ الْعَظِيمُ So this is it, this was the Ayat al-Kursi. Just to wrap it up, some fundamental questions that come to people's mind are being answered by this Ayah. Number one, God is dead, I don't need him. Allah says, no, I'm alive. Al-Hayyu al-Qayyum, and you need me. Another doubt people have, I can have fun in secret, nobody's watching me, Allah tells us. No, I'm watching you, I know what you're going through. So there's, there's two aspects of Allah's knowledge. One is the fact that He knows if you're corrupt in the inside, He knows. Number two, if you're going through difficulty, He knows. There's two aspects of that. The third one is Yalla ya remote. How can God do this to me? Classic. Classic doubt that comes in our minds. It's not fair. Well, everything belongs to him. He's the king. Can the king do whatever he wants? Yes or no? We are guests in the house of the king. Absolutely. Absolutely. So everything he's doing is doing for you. But the human mind, like we said, limited perspective, we complain. We think it's unfair. But does he have the right as the king to do whatever he wants? Imagine you're living in the king's house, in his palace, right? You're a guest. And the king all of a sudden decides after three months that he will shift you from this room to the, another room. Do you have a right to complain? Why? Why not? You're a guest. You don't even pay. It's free. Eskit. Tam, yani. Another thought that comes in the way. I can get away with anything. Allah says, No, the, the shafa'ah is going to come with permission. You, you know, you have to qualify for it. There is responsibility. You got to deserve it. And then another doubt. God is busy with bigger matters. A lot of agnostics think that way, right? God exists, but he doesn't really deal with day-to-day -day things. He's busy with bigger things or he's outsourced things to others. No. Allah knows 
the insides and the outside and another doubt I don't understand why God did this and that why do bad things happen to good people right I don't understand well you will never understand it's true you will never understand but all you can do is trust that there's wisdom there's beauty in it I can do whatever I want not really being a guest in the king's palace عيب يعني عيب to, to speak like that it's shameful to even say that I can do whatever I want no you're a guest in the palace of the king so you know respect and then God rested on the seventh day common misconception God Allah says I never rest because I never get tired in the first place I'm actively engaged, actively taking care of you, actively protecting you. Another doubt, where is God? Again, Allah is not limited to space or time. He is not up there. Up is just a symbol of authority. Uh, Allah is beyond, beyond space and time. Right? Just lastly, Gabala. I want to show you the beauty of the way Allah speaks in the Quran. This is part of the, um, the symmetry of Allah's speech. So not only are the lessons profound, like did you, did you find, find benefit in the lessons today from Ayat al-Kursi? Yeah. Yes? A lot of information. I probably bored you guys. But uh, here is where now beyond the, beyond the importance of the knowledge, there is the beauty of how Allah speaks. And this is just like the, the icing on the cake it's like the cherry on top it's unnecessary but it just makes things beautiful so Allahu la ilaha illahu al-hayyu al-qayyum it started with two names of Allah al-hayy al-qayyum and it ends also with wahuwa al-aliyu al-azim do you see the symmetry? two names at the beginning two names at the end in the second predicate he said la ta'khudhu sinatun wa la nawm and then before the last he says Wala Do you see the connection between the two? The first one he says I don't fall asleep nor do I get tired And the second one he says I won't ever be unable to protect you So he's constantly engaged Number three and uh, Seven are also connected Do you see the connection? To him belongs everything that's in the skies and the earth and he has dominion and authority over the skies and the earth. And then who will be able to intercede without my permission? Allah knows whether you qualify for that intercession or not. So there's this connection to knowledge. So you see the symmetry of the speech of God? This is just in one ayah. Just one verse. Every, every single chapter or surah of the Quran is beautifully ordered every single section is beautifully ordered there's nothing that's it's not like spaghetti you know sometimes you read the Quran you feel like oh, it's random topics uh, changing subject yes yeah, so وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَاكُمْ أُمَّةً وَسَطًا and verily we have made you the middle nation this ayah is ayah number 186 
in Surah Al-Baqarah. Which is the middle? Exactly, yeah. Uh, there's... Yeah, so I think it's ayah number 143 or something. There's 286 verses in Baqarah. It comes right in the center. So, yeah, I mean, there's this countless ways. But this is just cherry on the top for you to appreciate the... the the, not just the lessons, but the beauty in which Allah speaks to show you that this cannot possibly, these words cannot possibly the words, they can, cannot possibly be the words of a human being. This is divine usage of language, divine knowledge that has come directly to you from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to guide you. Thank you guys for listening and sorry for uh, taking long. As you can imagine, it's a heavy ayah. I was trying to do justice to it. Obviously, I didn't do justice, but trying to give you a taste of it, inshallah. Allah yitqabbal minna jami'an and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Allah yitqabbal.